I get the privilege of bringing you the message today, and it's starting off our new series again, and um, this one is called Beyond Good Intentions, as you can see up there. And the idea is, is that we're going, who knows the four uh, words of our motto? Bigger, deeper, higher, wider. The idea is that we're going deeper into our life with God, and that we are strengthening and deepening our relationship. So what does beyond good intentions mean? It means we're going to look at 12 spiritual disciplines so that we can actually go into them and see how they're helping our relationship with God. So that's the idea behind this series. And uh, some think of spiritual disciplines as a rather tedious activity. Who's, who's ever like gotten to one day and it's like, I have to read the Bible again? No? <laughs> I know sometimes I've felt sick one morning. It's like, I just, I need God. But it's a bit hard to pursue that. And I guess there's a, I got a bit of a story to explain it. Whoever's been hiking, yeah, been on a longer walk, And, uh, well, one particular time I had to go on a walk that was actually, uh, it was 40 kilometres. And so we took a backpack. And in the backpack, we had some equipment to help us with the walk. Our water, our snacks and uh, our different tools to help us get from A to B, such as our um, compass, which is now on our phone. So we had our phones. And uh, we we were walking along. We got to this part where we were at a waterbed, and at the waterbed there were lots of pebbles. Now, being the 16-year-old boy that I was, I put all the pebbles into my mate's backpack. Needless to say, when he got to the end of the walk, he wasn't very impressed to find he'd been carrying about five extra kilos. But sometimes, the Christian walk, we, we have this spiritual backpack, right? And we carry a whole heap of stones. Yeah? The idea is we want to get rid of those stones from the backpack and just have the tools so that we can actually get to the end destination and have that healthy relationship with God. So the idea of this sermon series is how can we make those tools more sharp? So let's go through Daniel 6 again. And I just want to explain a few things because there are a few words in there that might have been a bit confusing. And also to put it into perspective, Daniel 6 is in the later part of the exile period. So if we're just thinking about the the history of Israel for a moment, they're in Israel and they're conquered. The first part's conquered by Babylon and the second part is conquered by the Assyrians. And at the start, Daniel is a young fellow. We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's right at the start of the exile period. And uh, what happened there is um, that, you know, they get thrown into the furnace because they won't bow to the God, to to the Assyrian God. This part is actually 50 years later. So if we think of it, Daniel's about 50. So he's no longer a young guy. So in Daniel 6, we're actually reading it from a later perspective of the exile. So it's just important to be aware of that. And when we go into it, it says, 
It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. So a satrap was actually like a council, if we think of it now. Someone in charge of the council. And the reason that they, they needed 120 was because that was how big his kingdom was at the time. It was a very big kingdom. He'd just conquered a whole heap of, uh, of the world. With three administrators over them, one of them whom was Daniel. So Daniel was this Israelite, let alone uh, a Persian. He was an Israelite. And he was one of the three most powerful people under the king. So that's really important to be aware of. And these people are made accountable of the satraps so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel, an Israelite, a person not of the land, is actually the second in command in a foreign country. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. We can imagine why. They're jealous of this man. They want to see him suffer so that then their people will be back in the place of power. They don't have the same value system, but they were unable to do so. That's how distinguished, how right Daniel's character was that they couldn't find any law, which there would have been a heap of laws that they tried to pick out where they could find him punishable. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. That's the ultimate suck-up, isn't it? It's like today you go up to someone and give them the biggest compliment in the world. Well, that's what they're doing. They're, they're getting the ultimate schmooze on. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and force a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty should be thrown into the lion's den. As the king, you'd be pretty, feeling pretty chuffed right now, wouldn't you? That your advisors and rulers are saying that you're so great, it's no wonder that he didn't see it being a blind side. It's very easy to allow our egos get in the way, isn't it? Or even thinking of ourselves. Let's continue. Uh, now, Majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. Oh, sorry, I missed the verse. The royal administrator... No, I didn't. Now, Your Majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. And now when Daniel learns that the decree had been, put, had been published... And this is the part I really want out of the reading to, be, to pay attention to. He went home to his upstairs room when the windows opened Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed. 
giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So the idea is we're doing these 12 spiritual disciplines. And this week we're looking at prayer and meditation as the the spiritual disciplines. But before we get into those, I want to ask you this question. Why did Daniel pray three times a day facing Jerusalem? Why did Daniel pray three times a day facing Jerusalem? Yeah. So in the Old Testament, we can, we can look at the, the uh, practicalities of their law. And God was a very locational God at the time. He had the covenant. You remember the covenant that they, God dwelt in in the, in the time in the desert? So the, the, temple, the covenant, uh, the ark was meant to be placed in the temple, in Solomon's temple. And so the idea was that they were to pray to that place because that's where God was. And I'm glad it changed, otherwise my window looking out for my bedroom, it looks out to Antarctica, so God wouldn't be hearing my, my prayers. But that's not the case anymore. See, God is forever with us, so we don't have to do that. Why did he pray three times? Why did Daniel pray three times? It's not, it, see, the thing is, it's not a formula that he was following. It's not like he got down at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock and 5 o'clock. For him, it was his way of being able to be in a habit which allowed him to spend time with God. And his action of doing the disciplines in certain, in three times a day would have actually meant that his habit became his nature. And so that when he practiced that time three times a day, something as hard as this law came out, he was still able to go into that place and spend that time with God. And we all know the rest of the story. He gets thrown into the lions and God saves him. But that part there, verse 10, is so often overlooked by the end result, which is actually that he's intentional in his relationship with God, spending those three days with him. Three times a day. So the question that I want to ask you is, are your spiritual disciplines tools or are they rules like the rocks in your bag? Are your spiritual disciplines tools or are they rules? The purpose of the spiritual dis- disciplines are to restore, reshape and refocus. They're to restore, reshape, and refocus. What do I mean by that? Well, the point of a spiritual discipline is to restore. They bring us back to a rawness in front of God. Yeah? They, they bring us back to a rawness in front of God. They reshape. They mold us into the direction that God wants us to go. And they refocus. They align our eyes, hearts, and ears with God. Sorry, I'm, I got the sniffles this morning. They align our eyes, hearts and ears with God. The spiritual disciplines aren't formula keys 
They are gifts. Gifts that take us deeper with God. So as I said, we're doing prayer and meditation today. And I guess when I came to prayer, I thought, well, we've all been taught how to pray many a times. We've done many a sermon series on prayer. So I'm not necessarily going to be teaching us how to pray, pray or even we'll look at the Lord's Prayer in a couple of examples. And we recite that every week. But I just wanted to point out some points of prayer that may not necessarily be uh, directly uh, looked at when we look at prayer sermon series. I want everyone to shut their eyes for a second and I'm going to read you a quote. And it says this. So if we all shut our eyes. In prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him desire the things he desires, loves the things he loves. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. You can open your eyes again. Prayer is not only a source of communication with God, but it's an opportunity for us to listen for God's voice and allow him to mould us into the people he wants us to be. So I have four things about prayer that I want to look at today. And it starts in Matthew 6. We know this parts from the Lord's Prayer. And this version says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the point is, prayer does not inform God. It involves God. Right? Prayer doesn't inform God. It involves God. Now, I had this friend, he was about five years ago, five years ago now, so I was 17, and he'd fallen off his skateboard, so he'd broken both his elbows. Don't let your grandkids play on skateboards. <laughs> but he'd broken both his elbows, and I could tell that this fellow wanted to get something off a shelf in the kitchen, but because he had these casts, he couldn't actually lift his arms up. Now, just because I knew that he wanted something didn't mean that I could help him. It wasn't until five minutes of struggling that he said, Caleb, can you please get the Nutrigrain off the top shelf for me, that I knew that he wanted the Nutrigrain. Now, that's, a, that's an analogy, so it has a flaw in that I don't know that he wanted Nutrigrain, but the principle remains that it, we're not inviting God into our situation to help us until we ask him. Prayer doesn't inform God. God already knows our situation. Rather, it invites him in to helping us. It allows God to come into our lives. So the next point I want to raise is, prayer does not, uh, prayer does not change God, it changes us. So I'm just going to quickly look at Malachi. Yes, Malachi is a book in the Bible. It's the last book of the Old Testament. 
And it's Malachi 3 verse 6. And it says this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Now that's Old Testament thinking at the end there, but the first part, I, the Lord, do not change. God doesn't change. Just because we pray, it doesn't mean that he is changing to suit us. Rather, we change because God has come into our lives through prayer. God is perfect, so he can't change. And we are imperfect. If we think back to some, some uh, Sunday school tales, think of Moses and the burning bush. He was trying to change God's mind in that moment, wasn't he? He doesn't want to go to Egypt. And when Moses left from that instance, when he was with that encounter with God, he left in a changed man. When we come before God in prayer, we should let him show us the areas of our lives that need to be changed. Having an open heart. As we learn what it means to pray and start to pray his way, it will be impossible for us to not change. Imagine what the church would be like today if we prayed for God to change us according to his will. So now my next point is prayer does not get our will done in heaven, it gets God's will done on earth. The Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's important that we tell God what we think we need and it's also important to let God know what we want and our will. But we need to listen to God and find out what he thinks and what he knows we need. God's will is more important and much better for us than our own will. We can tell God our wants and needs, but when we need to, to tell him, not my will, but your will be done. I say, let go and let God. It's one of my favourite sayings. Let go and let God. Find out what God's will is and pray for it to happen. And my final point on prayer is that prayer is not because God needs us, but because we need God. Just going to quickly read Colossians for you. It's Colossians 2 verse 10. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. It's through Christ we've been brought to fullness. We should not fool ourselves into thinking God needs us. Because God is complete in himself. And I'd take it one step further and say that 
if there were no other creatures in the universe, if it was just God, he would still be complete. Because he doesn't need us. He doesn't rely or depend on us. We, however, desperately need God. God is not made complete in us, but we are made complete in him. Just as Colossians 2 verse 10 said, and in him we have been made complete. Prayer is the key to being made complete in Jesus. And in Acts, the book of Acts, whenever the church came together in unity and prayed, God moved miraculously. We need God to move miraculously in our world more than ever today. Wouldn't you agree? And this can only happen through prayer. This is why we pray, so we don't inform God. We're not informing God, but we're inviting him. Not to change him, but to change ourselves and our way of thinking. Not to get our will done, but God's will done. And not because he needs us, but because we need him. We need him, we love him, and we long to worship him. That is why we pray. Now the second discipline we're looking at today, and this one is meditation. And I guess when I first thought about it, I wanted to ask, what is your opinion on meditation? Because it has a bit of a skewed image at the moment. When we think of meditation, what do you think of? Mm. Focus. Anyone think of Eastern meditation? No? That's great. I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> Thomas Merton, he's a famous scholar, he once said, True contemplation is not a psychological trick, but rather a theological grace. I'll repeat that. True contemplation is not a psychological trick, but rather a theological grace. So we all have the ability to meditate. Now, I just wanted to quickly just distinguish for you the difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. And Eastern meditation is an attempt to detach yourself from the world, an ability to remove yourself from the world, your emotion and all your anxiety. And to be completely vulnerable with you, my uncle is actually completely into Eastern meditation and it's actually ruined his marriage to ruin his relationship with his two kids. But Christian meditation takes it one step further. It removes ourselves from the, the pains and sufferings of the world, the joys, but it then refocuses our vision on something of God. Yeah? We reattach our focus and our ability to sit in the presence of God. 
One of the biggest problems that I hear so often about is what does God's voice sound like when we meditate? How, how do you hear God in this time? Personally, for me, God's voice sounds a lot like silence. And that's a scary place because it means that you actually have to remove yourself from everything. And it allows a lot of thought to come into it. But everyone is different. Everyone's different. So what I wanted to do this morning was a little activity for meditation. And I'm going to get everyone to close their eyes again. And I'm just going to give a couple of examples of this meditation practice. So what I want you to do is think of the desert with your eyes closed. Think of the desert. And just call out one of the pictures that you had when you thought of the desert. Myself, I think of an oasis. In meditation, God can give you a picture. And that's God talking to you. You can look into that and it will reflect qualities of God. My oasis, I see him as that pool of water in a place which is a sandy desert. I want you to think of the ocean. What picture do you get when you think of the ocean? Do you get a crashing wave? Do you get Cronulla Beach? In that, we're getting an image. There's ability for us to reflect upon God in that image. It's a good and accurate way of meditating. When I say husband, what word comes to your mind? If you don't think of a husband, think of something like a teacher or a policeman, what word comes to mind when you think of those words? Excuse me. And the last thing I wanted to do with you with your eyes closed was I just want to read you a bit of scripture. And this is the ultimately the best way for us to meditate based on God's word, given word to us. And it's just a it's just a random piece of scripture, but I want you to meditate on it. In everything Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be commanded, condemned, 
so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say against you. Meditation allows us to stop and what it does is it brings our attention back to God. We can open our eyes again. Spiritual disciplines are practices. Now I just wanted to get a quick side note in here and say do not expect to be a master of a discipline as one we come across in the next couple of weeks, next five weeks after this one. Do not expect to be a master if you just want to start one out. The definition of a master today is that you have spent 10,000 hours in a practice. Now, I did the math to bring it into a realistic idea for us. That's if you were to practice every hour every day of day and night for the next 27 years and eight months, then you'll become a master. Now, I've not even been alive that long, so I can't be a master, even of something like the piano. (laughs) But I just wanted to get in there that these things are disciplines. They require work and they require practice. And we need to be realistic when we attempt to take these things on. Start off small, just a minute or two. If it's praying, if we're not comfortable praying, just a minute. Or if it's meditating, you're not comfortable with that practice, just take 30 seconds just to reflect on God. We need to be wise to where we are at the time and the discipline. Just wanted to get that in quickly. Let's just pray together. I think after doing the discipline of prayer, it's good to end a sermon with praying. So let's pray together and let's just bless um, these words to our heart for the week. Thank you, Lord God, for these practices that we have to pursue so that we may form a greater relationship with you. We pray that you sharpen these tools in our pack so that they don't become stones that are weighing down our journey. We pray that you give us the ability during the week to be able just to reflect on these things so that we may be able to deepen this relationship with you. Amen.